the day they picked me up, December 21st, they took me upstairs, what floor, I don't know, they, but they put me in a little room. Gus Rose walked in. He had a confession there he wanted me to sign. He uh, said that I would sign it. He didn't give a damn what I said. I would sign this piece of paper he's got. I told him I couldn't. I had what I call a casual, friendly conversation with him to start with, to try to uh, size him up, to see what he liked and what he didn't like. And uh, I found uh, almost immediately that he didn't have very much conscience, that what anything he had done, he never, it never really bothered him. He, he had done other things that he told me about that uh, didn't seem to bother him in the least. He showed no expression whatsoever. Uh, it's just like that he's talk, sitting here talking about the, the color of this wall or uh, the shooting of the police officer. He, had, he showed no, no reaction to any of the questions. Uh, he, of course, uh, almost overacted his innocence. He, just, he protested that he hadn't done anything and couldn't imagine why we were uh, bringing him in. He didn't fight or he didn't resist. He just protested his innocence. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And today we are uh, again breaking through another kind of barrier in the film world, tackling a first. We'll be talking about our first documentary. And uh, kind of in honor of that, we kind of have a a tandem recommend this week. Uh, I would say that sounds like a fair explanation. Yeah. Um, So, Ian what documentary specifically are you recommending? So the Netflix fire documentary and about, I, the, about that failed fire festival. And my recommend is a fire fraud, uh, the Hulu documentary about that failed music festival uh, called fire. Um, now, uh, full disclosure, I've actually seen both of these and uh, I think you've only seen the Netflix. I've, one. I've still yet to watch the Hulu one. Okay. Yes. Um, but but that doesn't really change anything because both of these both of these documentaries basically just uh, go into detail about the 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 rise and meteoric fall of this uh, this fire festival. Um, so so, so and, it was Ja Rule and, and Billy McFarland. Yes, and it, I mean I mean let's be real. Ja Rule was was mostly a face to this thing. This is mostly Billy. No, I'm not. That does not negate Ja Rule's participation in this event. Um, but this is pretty much Billy McFarlane's brainchild that was a, whew, was a clusterfuck. Yeah, well, it all comes out of the idea of it's very difficult. I guess the, the world of booking talent is extremely difficult, and so they came up with, his company came up with an app to try and help you book artists or, or whatever else easily and so as a, to sort of spearhead this and the launch of the app they wanted to create the fire music festival which would be the biggest thing since woodstock you know a big indulgent hedonistic weekend out on what was originally supposed to be pablo escobar's island yeah norman's k yeah and so there was a huge ad campaign 
you know, there was a, a, a shoot that happened down there with the 10 greatest supermodels of our modern day and all the uh and this i'm still i'm still not of this world but the the instagram influencers yes you know so so a lot of people of of note who carry sway who would make this experience be like oh hot shit man i gotta and and i think one of the documentaries if not both talk about this this idea of fomo the fear of missing out like oh my god if i don't go to this thing my life will be forever tainted so it was becoming the thing that you had to go do. Um, and, and people like one of the card Chloe, I think it was Chloe Kardashian and, and um, Haley Bieber and all these other people, all these other influencers were, were out there posting. Yeah. Fire It's going to be awesome. We're going to, no, it was gonna... the, it was the orange square. Right? Yes. That was yep. the, the kind of the, the attention the grabbing. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, Basically, what both of these documentaries do is is they they do go into detail about how this festival was never it was never giving the the real time or consideration that it needed to ever actually come out to ever be at best they gave themselves five months I think six six okay yes and for this everybody says you need bare minimum a year yeah yeah that's what everyone told them. But so no, he had to have it his way, man. So I'm wondering because since I've seen both, I, what are some of your 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 big takeaways from the from the Netflix documentary? I'm sort of morally ambiguous towards the entire thing, simply because I mean, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but all the people that got duped by this, I mean, the the thing that was really winding me up as the documentary went along, that as there was a lack of information coming out. And then full out, like, pulling down people's questions off of the forum. Why would you still go? You don't even know what airport you're flying out of. You don't really know where you're flying to. Mm -hmm. There have been, you know, people have been leaking information about what it's going to look like when you get there. And yet you're still just going to go anyway. The hurricane dome tents. Yeah, the FEMA tents. That there are, are there advertising as luxury villas to sleep three people or yeah but the the thing that the thing that pisses me and i don't i don't want to take away from how poorly managed it was because it absolutely was the story that kills me is the guy that he leaned on so much with all the experience is him telling him hey man you got to go suck the cock of a customs official to get water for this thing and the fact that he was prepared to do it is where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm out. Fuck all you people. That's okay. So, oh god, keep keep going. But because the, I got the way that this thing turns into the apocalypse in less than twelve hours, and the I can't, re- I you know, I don't feel bad for anybody that went. Yeah. One because I can't relate to that. I give you an example. I just spent five hundred dollars on, not quite five hundred. It was like four seventy something like that on. Rolling Stones tickets. Now that is the most that I have ever spent on any event like that ever, and probably ever will. Sure. I mean, people were dropping tens of thousands of dollars yes. and loading their their bracelets mm-hmm. with hundreds of thousands. Of, so instantly, I can't relate. Yeah. To any of you people, it's it's rich people problems. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the fact that, like I said, it turned into the apocalypse almost immediately. And the way that everybody was sabotaging each other, nobody. This is why we are doomed. This documentary exposes exactly how and why we are doomed as a species. Because they started stabbing holes in other tents, pissing on mattresses, deliberately sabotaging 
what was already a sabotaged event just so they wouldn't have to have neighbors. Well, and in, 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 in the Hulu documentary, one of the guys, one of the, I guess, the PAs on working the event, the day came and, and there was no there was no coordination. There was no way to handle, like, how do we get people to a specific tent? None of that had been set. And so they just developed a system. The line started and they were doing their thing. And apparently they got through like about 400 people before Billy McFarland stood up on that table and started saying, look, you just got to grab a tent. And then there's the clip. There's those f- cell phone clips of people just running yeah. to just grab a tent yeah. because because now somebody's just said, oh, yeah, just go grab one. So I wonder, I want, But I want to loop back to the thing about the guy saying he was going to go suck a guy's dick to get the water out of customs. That was actually one of those. To be honest, I don't believe that. I heard that and I go, I think that's horseshit. I think that's somebody wanting to make this documentary sound a little more effed up. You know, sensationalism. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's probably part of the reason why I was uh, half of me was in disbelief and the other half of me was, well, if this is true, then fuck all of you. I, yeah. Why? Why should I care? You're but, all horrible human beings. Stop well, it now. While both of these documentaries are essentially about the same thing, um, the really, really... I find this so fascinating is that these documentaries came out within a week of each other. Hulu and Netflix pretty much dropped these on top of each other. Uh, the one on Netflix had been in the works and had been known to like to the world for a while that it was going to drop. Hulu's came out of nowhere. So here's the thing about these two that I find really interesting. The Hulu documentary actually got Billy McFarlane to be in it. He's, he's in it. They interview him. So you could say... Well, how could you and – and he was paid to be in this documentary. So obviously there's a side of people going, why would you pay this guy to be in your documentary? He he is a – he's a, um, a sociopath. He is a compulsive liar. He, he, he committed fraud. This guy should not be paid money. Well, he continued – to yes. commit fraud even yes. when he was out on bail. Yes, he did. He's he's asking for it. I he know just, he is. He wants to go um, to prison. But then again, to watch him have to answer these questions and squirm and, and still weasel his way out of telling the truth is really compelling to watch. The Netflix one, while it doesn't have him, and and I would say that the Hulu one is a little it's a little all over the place. It and and it's still obviously about fire, but it kind of meanders at times. Netflix, while being solely focused, is also produced by Fuck Jerry, who was the essentially the promoting company for Fire. So the thing about the Netflix one is that it's being produced by part of the people who helped promote this shitstorm. And and Fuck Jerry in the Netflix one comes out as definitely as innocent victims. Whereas, oh yeah, they they come out damn near squeaky clean. Whereas in the Hulu one, they're also part of the problem. So I think you have to watch both of these, and I, and not just you, Ian, but but you like I, they make great pieces. You know, maybe not back to back in a day, but within a week, I would I would highly recommend watching both of these because it tells a more complete story and it helps you it helps you fill in the puzzle pieces a little more. Well, and I'm sure that it helps certain things cancel each other out. You're able to wade through the bullshit probably a little more, despite. In someone's involvement in one and someone's involvement in the other. Yeah. I'm, I would be fascinated if 10 years from now we get an unbiased, a completely everybody – long enough has passed. Everybody steps back. This thing is being made by people who had zero involvement. You know what I mean? Wait until yeah. you know Billy gets out of – because he's gone to prison for six years six now, years. right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is not long enough. No. 
And I think they've banned him from ever holding a C-level position in a company again. Oh, my God. He... Whatever. God. Yeah, no, it's it's really not much of a punishment at the end of the day because you look at what he did to... The Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, people the, down there who did not get... Livelihoods. Who did not get paid. Livelihoods destroyed. Yeah. <sighs> well, on that sort of downbeat note, just in terms of, of you know... The way the people get away or not get away with things in this country. Um, there aren't a whole lot of documentaries. In I was going to say, nice segue. Uh, thank you. Um, and we are talking about um, the the nineteen eighty eight Errol Morris documentary, The Thin Blue Line. Um, not to be confused with the BBC Rowan Atkinson comedy from the nineteen nineties. Yes, I, I I would hope not. Um, so, since this is our first documentary, there's not really a cast. Um, I will say that this this documentary really revolves around Randall Adams and David Harris. Randall ha- and 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 this is a true thing, so I don't mind kind of saying Randall Adams being falsely, falsely uh, accused, convicted, and almost executed for the murder of a, a cop in Texas, and uh, eventually because of this documentary, David Harris sort of the truth coming out that David Harris was the one who actually did it. Now we can break down the sort of details of that later. Not really uh, necessarily um, the correct accolades for this movie. Um, so it did win. It did win best documentary um, at the National Board of Review, the New York Film Critics uh, Choice, and the National Society of Film Critics. It did not get nominated at the Academy Awards for best documentary for reasons that I one hundred percent agree with. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. So the so let's so instead of just being vague, it, it was basically uh, an unwritten statement that the Academy wasn't gonna uh, consider this for best documentary feature because of the the reenactments and the the sort of scripted nature in a way of um, of the way this documentary was was presented. Now I I highly disagree with uh, with the choice to to not include this, and and part of it comes from something that I read in the. Um, the, the essay included in the Criterion Collection is called A Radical Classic by Charles Musser. And I, I like how he phrased this. So the term reenactment is an unfortunate misnomer. Barry Sheck, one of the founders of the Innocence Project, has argued that these scenes are similar to courtroom visualizations, which enables jurors to better understand the testimony of police investigators and witnesses. Morris does not reconstruct what he believes to be a truthful account of the murder. Rather, he depicts these conflicting accounts of events in, in ways that will help the spectator understand each account more clearly. And I don't I don't know how you feel about the reenactments, but I, I've never thought that these were meant to be, this is what happened. I think it was just visual representations of the different, these uh, varying different uh, perspectives on on what could have happened. Well, and I don't have a problem with having a reenactment in there. Where Morris shoots himself in the foot, rather deliberately or not, is he never shows a version of the reenactment with david ray harris in the driver's seat it's always an actor portraying randall adams the whole point of this film is to prove randall adams innocence yet none of the reenactments show the right killer in the car or a representation of the right killer in the car and the other thing that bugs me about the reenactments is do we need to keep seeing it over and over and he pads the runtime of this film so to a nauseating degree. This film could literally be 30 minutes shorter. You know, it's funny. The, the reenactments don't bug me in a way that I feel like in a trial, the same beats would probably keep keep coming up over and over again. 
and I like the subtle changes to them too. Uh, See, so, yeah, no, that that I enjoy the, the changing of the car. Yeah, the you know, the license plates. Although the, I agree that this movie headlights. is this movie is filled with with unnecessary moments. Um, we, uh, we the other day we were talking about the stuff with Dillinger seemed unnecessary. Right, it's the, the, um, they're establishing who the judge is and who the the, the judge's father was. I think because he shares Chicago, the yeah. anecdote about Dillinger's death, and then they use a piece of footage. From a Dillinger movie, yes. which doesn't portray at all the way that Dillinger and, was actually killed. And so, and so, um, hold, okay, hold on. I just want to, one more thing. So just, I want to do my stupid thing that I do every episode. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? 2001. Okay, thank you. Okay, I really just wanted to get that stupid I, I know thing you out did. of the way. I know you did. You got this shit-eating grin on your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, Errol Morris... Uh, so desperately wanted to be a filmmaker, couldn't get funding for like anything. So he he legit became a PI for like three or four years. And previous to that, he was an an, uh, an investigative journalist, correct? I think so. Yeah. Um. So so the way in which he he obsessively went about trying to get the details for this movie, I I, I absolutely applaud. Um, and like so much so that you know when he, he actually found the the movie lineup of the night that they were supposedly went to the drive-in and found clips of the movies. Like, like, like I think getting that kind of detail is great. I didn't need to see three or four minutes of the, of movie? those movies. That's, and, that's what I'm talking about. This film, this film's runtime is, so this basically boils down. This should have been an hour of TV. So yeah, it's, 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 it's currently it's 103 minutes. Yeah, no, you can get this thing down. You can get this thing down to 60. It's so easy. Mm, hour 20. I'd say hour twenty. Yeah, it's it's funny because like there are moments like the the uh, for I mean the one the two that stand out are the the Dillinger stuff and I would say the uh, the the movie the drive-in movie stuff, but then you get these great moments like I like as far as quote unquote characters go because again these are real people Emily Miller and her everything she says what a what a nut like yeah. what what planet are you living on, and that's where I think like, the movie sucks you back in with you know like. Oh, she just she has a really good memory of things, and she's always looking out for things. And murders, she says, like murders always happen around me for some reason. I'm always around when murders happen, and 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 I'm always looking out for stuff. I try to solve it before the cops do. And then like two minutes later, they go, oh yeah. And also, um, she was able to get her daughter off of a like a charge that she was facing for for in in, in willing of giving her own testimony. Well, those those three surprise. I'm gonna do air quotes. Witnesses. Mm-hmm. I mean they. They tell their stories, and as they go through telling their stories, they all one by one find a way. Well, it eradicates everything they've said. Yeah, no, they they find a way to contradict themselves. Yeah. as they go along. The one, I mean, the, the guy who has the, the great salesman, memory, the salesman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was bringing. He has a great memory, yet he can't remember the vehicle. What kind of car was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that he's covering up the fact that he was out with another woman because he was married at the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, they just, and the fact, and this was where it comes into the corruption. Yes. Of the fact that they didn't listen to any of the character witnesses for these witnesses telling them, no, you shouldn't believe these people. I, man, there's, there's a lot of bullshit that goes down in this thing. And I, man, I don't, I don't feel that Errol Morris, I'm so happy that he was able to get 
you know, the justice was served, but I think a lot of that also has to do with the marketing more than maybe even the movie itself. I mean, they, they talked about, you know, Miramax has never held a man's life in their hands before. Yeah. was one of the, or I'm paraphrasing what the tagline was Well, at the and time. Get, guess who was the brilliant genius behind the, that? Do we have to name drop that no, particular son to, of a bitch? But it was, it was Harvey Weinstein, and yeah, and not one of his better ideas, I must say. I mean, I, I guess it worked. I, well, I guess. But do you want to give that fat fuck any kind of credit? Um... You know, and, and, and so, again, this, this being a, a real event that happened, you know, there, it's, it's I, I just, this is such a, this is such a tale of unfortunate circumstances. Like, when, when you hear Randall Adams talk at the beginning, you know, that he was basically trying to get a job, and he just, it was like Thanksgiving, and his car, he didn't have enough gas, and it, I, I, those kind of stories where it's, you know, it, it's, it's something as simple as, if I had just had more gas. Yeah, I never would have met this kid who yeah. ultimately decided the outcome of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's so unfortunate. 30 minutes later, 30 minutes earlier, just that little extra half gallon in the tank of gas. I know how it's oh, it's so defeating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to think about. Yeah, there are so many. I mean, where do you. I, I mean, we don't. I mean, that's the thing is that this is. It's a documentary. It really happened. So I guess I'm. I, I, what I'm curious is. is what what moments in particular really stuck out with you? Whether whether moments that you you enjoyed or moments that you because I get that you think the movie was too long, but I'm wondering what what struck you about this story. Well, I, I always love those those cases of of injustice and and justice finally being served. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by the story as well of of Reuben Carter, mm-hmm. aka the Hurricane. Yeah, you know, they they made a pretty good movie about that with Denzel Washington. Well, they they here's I love that movie, but it it they took huge liberties. There, there's huge leaps. I mean, Dan Hedaya's character doesn't exist in the world. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it feels like most <laughs> the the film is mostly based on Bob Dylan's song, maybe even more so than the which they play about seven or eight they times. They really do. Yeah. In case you forgot who we were talking about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but no, I'm always fascinated by these these stories of of just justice being fulfilled. I I like these types of documentaries. But I'm going to kind of give the game away early. I think I already have about how I feel. I just don't feel that it's a very well-made documentary. And it's, yeah, it's in the early days of this type of documentary making. But the fact that they don't even have subtitles telling us who's talking and the fact that you have to piece together who this person is and how they fit into it, just a little thing like that. Why can't I have this is the guy's name and this is what he does, which seems so standard and almost something you don't think about now in modern documentaries. I mean, I feel Errol Morris was a pioneer. He was a trailblazer. Yeah. Given that, but there's a lot of just choices in this film. And I'm not even looking at the facts of the case, but just looking at the documentary itself that just don't make sense. Well, what like you, you mentioned, why, why do we need the Dillinger story? Oh, sure. Yes. Why, no, I, why aren't you telling us who's speaking and well, what their job is? Like, and I, I think, I, you know, a lot of that too is, is I think that's that's Errol Morris's fascination with, with character, and and wanting to let some of these people's stories, I guess, shine through, um, which is, and I I get that. I just wish that they had been more related to what we were, what what we really wanted to know, which was what happened in the case, you know. The Dillinger stuff and the drive-in movie stuff, it, it derails us from that. And it's not that, you know, there are some of the people's story, you know, it's it's like it's like we were just talking about the guy who who essentially was with another woman but had the great memory. Like, 
maybe not all that is important, but it, it, it helps. It's like that character defamation, right? It's 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 that like, are we is this is this a character? Is is this a guy who who has outstanding character, or or, or is he not a very great person? You know, and, and sort of knowing like, can we trust his opinion? Um, that no, I, I know I agree. That's it's, it's like, worth it's worthwhile information. None of that yes. is bad information. Yeah, no, I agree. I I, and I, I I do agree that it does derail at moments. Um, but this film. I think what people praised this film for when it came out is why I think it's it's weak, is that it it feels like it wants to be a film noir, but you have to honor the fact that you're you're making a documentary, you're telling a real story, and style needs to go out the window in the face of the facts. It's my problem with the the reenactment sequence, especially. Yeah. Is they're they're over stylized. And I think that is what also helped the Academy make their decision and why I, I agree with them. Well, and what's I think what's ultra unfortunate is that I think he used a the theater troupe. Like, he used the theater and, – and nothing against theater actors. I'm a theater actor. But, like, he went – these aren't, like, you know – these aren't real cops. You know, they, they are – it was like putting on a little play – and then doing it, and it felt and, and what I, all I'm saying is like theater. Theater has to be bigger because you're you're taking up more space. It's not like a camera; you can be you know you're close up, and it just felt like a stage play every time it was shot. And I agree, it felt a little over the top. But I also think that's what again. If we're just, I think we just view this differently because yeah, we're I, just going tip for tat. I over, I really liked the over stylized version of it again because we're not we're not seeing anything that was that's close to real. You know, the way that he spins when he gets shot. And he, like, you see his... They focus on his feet. It's like a twirl. It's a dance. It's... There's no way this is really how we're supposed to see it. The dramatic tossing of the milkshake. Oh, it, it, how many times do we have to see that goddamn milkshake fly through the air? This is what I'm talking... I don't need... I got it the first time. I don't need to see it four more times. Like, I get it. Yeah, that's what happens when you throw a milkshake through the air. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we're just we're just kind of against each other. Yeah, I know we are. We're just, this like, is what I, happens when it, an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Which one am I? I is it? Is it? Really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it's it's and you know and I think for me because because there's still so much we're we're still dealing with injustice in the police system all the time that it's 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 still so topical and and there are just I mean a handful of quotes. I mean, things, no, it's it's still an important film in that, that got, regard. Things that got said in this movie that I just am am, am fascinated with. There was a line um, one of the police officers said about Randall Adams. He goes, he didn't fight or resist. He just protested his innocence. And that line is said with like, this guy was crazy. He didn't fight or resist. He he just protested his innocence. And I'm like, yeah, what do you, what do yeah, you expect? That's, that's what you would do that, if you were an innocent man. Yeah, it's it's... It's you're not going to incriminate yourself by like getting up in the cop's face about it. You know, you're not going to get in an altercation with him and, and further damage your innocence. So one thing that this this documentary reminded me of um, was and have you seen Making a Murderer? No, we we started it and it just it wasn't grabbing either Liz or so I. So I I really like the first season. The second season gets a little. It's the second season is it's very current with what's going on versus the first season, which kind of d- does the history of everything. Anyways, it's very much about a guy who is is claiming to be innocent of a crime that he says he didn't commit. And part of it, too, is saying that the the, the police in this certain area in oh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, somewhere up um, somewhere up there, basically is kind of behind it. That they're framing him for this, this crime in, in a way. And while I'm not saying that 
that they were trying to do this in Texas. There's a lot of things that get mentioned that are really interesting about, you know, David Harris being 16 and not being able to go. He wouldn't be able to go for a death penalty case versus Randall Adams, who was like 28 or 29, who they could put to death. Things like that. Things like the Supreme Court overturning the the original verdict of the case. But then the 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 the, the Texas courts saying, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to drop it from a death penalty to life, and you'll get no retrial because of that. Because there that, because there's that loophole in the system where th- that can that's a that's a thing, and it's just like wh- where this this animosity comes from, you know, like well, this fascination with with death and the death penalty. You know, what's really fun as a, as a little aside, as a little anecdote. Do you remember a few weeks back the John Oliver death penalty episode? Yeah, I had actually watched that the night before, and then watched this on the Monday. And so it was. It felt so relevant. And yeah. I was like, yeah, those those beats where they're talking about that and the death penalty. And I'm like, yeah, goddamn, there's this fascination with that. And also, when it comes to the genesis of this project, I'm when I found out that the original subject was going to be Doctor Death. Yeah. The guy that they talk about, mm-hmm. you know, was his name, um, Grigson. Yes. I'm I'm far more interested in that story, if I'm honest, and how he has been able to like, help. What what did they estimate? Over a hundred people get convicted. Yeah, yeah. And he, he you know spends fifteen minutes in a room with them, asks them very, you know, simplistic, inane banal, questions. Yeah, questions. Yeah. And he's able to. Oh no, he's a psychopath. Yeah, you can't let him. He will definitely kill he, again. Yes, he will kill. There's somebody. No, there's no evidence that he has killed, but he will kill again. Like that's I'm, and I believe there has been a documentary made about it. I need to track it down because I'm I'm actually more interested in that now. Yeah, coming no, out of sure. this. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um. So yeah, just just the way in which, you know, you would think you would think that if your case made it all the way to the Supreme Court and then they rule in your favor, like you would think, oh, that's great. Now I've got hope. Right. And to still to come back and go, no. So here's what we're going to do. Yet you thought you had hope. But no, we're going to we're going to take that away from you. And even though we won't we won't sentence you to death. You'll get no retrial, and now you get life in prison. It's just the links Al- at which... Almost better to have the death penalty, I think. Almost, uh, for me, anyway. Yeah, I'd I mean, who like, knows? No. Yeah, uh, I, I would... Okay, no, let's reverse that decision. Just put me in the chair. I'm not going to... And because of the same... And that, and that I think, due to the same thing, which I, what I read later, normally, if you'd been wrongfully convicted, um, you you actually... You're, you're owed money. Yeah, for, for every year. Yeah. Year. And it's a substantial amount. It, it is. But because, again, because of the way that this whole thing went down, Randall Adams got no back pay. For, for I mean, back pay sounds weird, but you know what I mean? He got yeah. none of that. He saw none of that when he got out. Which is why I, I kind of I sympathize with him, and I'm on his side when he went after Errol Morris for the rights to this thing and the rights to his life story. I mean, Errol Morris you know, said that, well, he had signed this and he had signed that, and he felt like I had wronged him. And Wouldn't you be a little bitter, too? Wouldn't you grab at any straw that you could to try and so now did you did you watch the documentary on on this no i don't i didn't have the the criteria okay. i just I, I rented this on on prime i believe sure so okay so that's kind of a that's a big question and I, so so yes of course if i'm randall adams and, and i'm out i don't i don't want anybody owning the rights to my life story i absolutely agree I think what, and maybe this is years later, you know, so he, of course Errol Morris has, has time to think about this. Um, but in the documentary, he, he kind of said things like, 
you know, what we signed, I wasn't necessarily trying to own the rights to his life story, but as as he's making this documentary, he's you know spent four or five years doing this, and essentially, and I don't want to give Errol Morris all the credit, but this movie really did help. I mean, it it really did spark a a, a reinvestigation of of his case and got him out. So. Randall Adams does owe a shitload to Errol Morris. Oh, absolutely. And I would never take anything away from that. Sure. Now, what Errol Morris said was, I should never I should never have had him sign what he signed. I shouldn't have. And because of that, after after everything was done, after, I think, because Adams won, um, they never spoke again. Yeah, I think they settled it out of court, and, yeah. and Errol Morris just kind of took a step back and, and kind of conceded, yeah. is my understanding. Yes, that, that's that's pretty much right. And and there is there is definitely a sense of regret from him about the way it happened, you know, especially as 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 being as making such an impact on somebody's life, and now to 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 well, and granted, um, Randall Adams passed away uh, not too long ago, but twenty ten, yeah, I believe it was. Um, but actually, I actually have the aftermath here. Yeah, I do. Oh, well, yeah, of, of which is I, yes, I find it really interesting. So, yeah, yeah please. If you wanted to to hear a little bit, so the Morris's investigation suggests that five witnesses committed perjury. Uh, as a, and this is taken off of the the Wikipedia page. Uh, as a result of publicity around the film, uh, he had his conviction overturned by the Texas Court of Appeals. After Adams' release from prison, he ended up in a legal battle with Morris concerning the rights to the story. The matter was settled out of court, and Adams granted sole use of anything written or made on the subject of his life. Despite being wrongfully imprisoned for 12 years, right, as you mentioned, he got no payment. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would have gotten $80,000 for every year he was in prison. Uh, But because, as you said, the case was dismissed and he was not pardoned, he received no payment from the state. Uh, He later worked as an anti-death penalty activist, which is really great to hear. Uh, He ended up dying of brain cancer in October of 2010 at the age of 61, but he lived, as they say in the the Wikipedia page here, he lived in such anonymity that his death was not discovered by the media until June of the next year, 2011. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. And then the the other thing, just just to sort of kind of come full circle... um, Harris was ultimately executed, uh, but that, not not for the murder of that cop. No, it was for the the kidnapping. It was like the final, the attempted kidnapping and and the uh, the assault. Yeah, of the the guy, the husband or the boyfriend. Yes, which I mean, you want to talk about a guy like like McFarlane? Is it, sorry, was that his last Billy, Billy McFarlane? Billy McFarlane, that's right. You want to talk about a guy that is just asking to get sent to prison. I mean, he was, they talk about the rampage that he was on and he was known to the cops. And again, this, this breeds back into the corruption. I mean, it feels like you kind of know, you have an inclination, you have him admitting what he's done to friends of his and, and nobody's listening there. They got the guy that they want for it because they can get him the death penalty. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a sickness inherent in the system. There was something, and, and and so weird. I, I you know it's hard to have a favorite moment of this movie. There's no favorite shot. There's no there's nothing like that for me in in this. But when we basically stick with Harris for the last few minutes of the movie, not not the recorder, which of course is like damning evidence in that moment, but the last time we see him on screen and he's talking about his his brother drowning, and and his father taking it hard and maybe his dad holding it against him. You know this guy who we've only seen kind of kind of. Not overly arrogant, but, you know, very, very just open and honest and kind of free, whatever, you know. Yeah, he's got these cheeky little half smiles that he does. There's no remorse. I mean, he is looking to those eyes. That is a sociopath. But then, you know, he's in jail. When he's being interviewed, this like like the fact that they even got to shoot this is a miracle. They got to shoot Harris in this movie. 
And, you know, it. I don't know why it got me. It didn't make me like him anymore, but it made me go, oh, this guy is human. Because because you hear all the shit he's done. You go, this is really messed up. I mean, he, yeah, like you said, he's asking. I mean, he beat up, he beat up a CO. He was dishonorably discharged. I mean, what, grand theft, kidnap. I mean, like the list went on. But then to hear, you know, it doesn't excuse it, but to hear, you know, essentially him try to self-diagnose himself and go, you know, maybe, maybe all of this was because of the shitty upbringing I had with my dad. Like it just was so, it really struck me. And it, it for me, it was the most compelling part of the movie was to hear somebody very much guilty, but try to at least not excuse it. And just go. This this happened in my life, and I I think maybe this is what it was, and it's the way I acted. Um, it was, I I was really struck by that moment. Yeah, I was surprised that we got, and that is probably the better moment in the movie is the the actual honesty that they get out of him was. Yeah, it was it was shocking to me and surprising. And yeah, I was. Yeah, definitely wasn't expecting that level of of honesty coming out of him. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and that's why I think. In terms of the people, and there are some interesting, again, quote unquote, characters in this movie. You know, it, 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 the most compelling moments are listening to Randall Adams and David Harris. It, it it really does draw you right in. Yeah, I could have done without a lot of the others, even though they're essential players. Just the the level of stupidity. His his attorney, the woman, not the guy, but the woman, the big gal. Yeah, and talking about how. You know, she got this lead about the store clerk, and she's like, "Yeah, I didn't make it up there for a few days." I'm like, what? What kind of fucking attorney are you? You should be in your car that moment going up there, getting the statement, getting the facts. You are the worst fucking attorney that I have ever heard of. I was so enraged. Liz, like, damn near stood up off the couch and started screaming at the TV. <laughs> she was just enraged by this. And there's, and there's oh, oh, man, the judge, as much time as we, I know we, we've already tread the Dillinger ground, but the judge talking about, you know, trying to, it's, very Trump, what comes out of his mouth. You know, he's talking about how, oh, you know, they uh, they they overturned my decision. They weren't saying I was right or wrong. They were just disagreeing with me. Yeah. I'm sorry, when somebody disagrees with you, they're saying that you're wrong, Cause dumbass. What, what was he trying to say? That if you if you take his, his perfect his perfect conviction of 9-0 nine, nine and then you add it to the 8-1 Supreme Court defeat, that technically he's 10-8 ahead. Like, he's up, he actually won in the grand scheme. Like, him trying to do some weird math yeah. Of the rulings, I was like, dude, and this this man is a judge. Yeah, yeah, isn't that frightening? It, it is terrifying. It, it is. It is. Um, let's, you know what? Because there's there's a little more that we want to talk about on today's episode that we didn't we didn't like preface. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask you, Ian, do you think that this movie should be in the book? I do, which I think surprises you, but I I feel like it's it should be it should be in the book because of what it did socially. Yeah, not because it's a good documentary because it's not. I think it is. I I know, I know. <laughs> it's not a very well-made documentary at all, and I think it's I think it, it makes for for compelling viewing to see how far we've come. And I mean, this this documentary did start a very unfortunate trend. I mean, how many of these types of TV shows yes. did we, especially in the '90s? The I, '90s were rampant with these things and bad in, bad reenactments. Mm -hmm. It set the stage for that. Yes. So there was a lot of you shouldn't say when you're when you're talking about having him a man's life hanging in the balance. You shouldn't really say that it caused harm, but I guess it it, it didn't really help 
good television. No, it did not. Or, or good filmmaking at all. I mean, I'm I'm so happy that justice was served. And yes. It's not a very good documentary, but but the reason why I would advocate people watching it is for, yes, what it did socially, and two, to show you how far we've come when it comes to documentary filmmaking. <laughs> such a dick. Such a I know, bullshit, a, backhanded compliment. It, it kind of is, but it still belongs in the book. So, I mean, you get to have your cake and eat it too, I guess. I, I guess. I, I more so than Ian, do believe that this movie should should be in the book. Um, I, I know you said that you don't have a favorite. I do actually have a favorite shot. I love the, well, for, the electric chair stuff, talking about that and talk, and him talking about going numb while they're showing images yeah. of an electric chair. And yeah. they're not talking to you about, what what does he say? All, you know, all they're doing is they're they're talking about how they're going to kill you and the obsession with death and the obsession with the, the death. Yeah. Penalty. They're not talking about guilty or innocent. They're talking about how they're going to kill you. Exactly. Yes. yes I know. Yeah. yeah. Haunting. I, I, and, and it's not a shot. I mean, I wouldn't, but, but my favorite, my favorite moment is, is the, the last, the last on screen David Harris interview. Um, although I guess one, one quite quick little last fact is that the reason the tape recorder bit is at the end is because the camera literally broke down. They yeah, didn't have a camera right. to shoot. They, they couldn't salvage. Yeah, well, so they weren't they weren't able to shoot any footage to begin with, right? It's not like there wasn't footage to be salvaged, right? No, from from the tape recorder, you mean? Yeah. No, that yeah, the camera broke before okay. they so that it was just tape recorded. Yeah. So that's that's why we get that last little bit on the tape recorder. Um so we wanted to to talk a little bit more just about documentaries in general. Um there's not a whole lot in the book, and so um Ian, do you want to start with the list that you found? Yeah, so there was uh, in my in my research and and being on Wikipedia and reading about just documentaries in general, I found this thing. I guess, oh, of course, I screwed it up already. I didn't I didn't write down when this aired, but Morgan Spurlock, okay, hosted a multi part thing on a channel called Current TV, which I've no, I don't have cable. This would have been I've probably never, at least after two thousand and seven or yeah, eight when Super Size Me I've came ne- out. I've never heard of it. Uh, the the TV channel anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, they did a they did a top list of the the fifty documentaries you must see before you die. Now you you can find this list on on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that I had actually seen as many as I had because I'm documentaries are a kind of fleeting thing for me. I'll go through a phase where I'll eat up quite a few of them, and then I won't touch documentaries again for you know a year or two. Sure, um, but I I do have the top ten, and I, and I haven't seen this list, so just- I'm. I'm curious. To, so I've seen I've seen eight off of the full fifty. Okay, but uh, the top ten goes. Number ten is uh, Werner Herzog's Grizzly Man. Haven't seen. Yeah, no, I I haven't either, and I really want Me to. Me too. Uh, Trouble the Water, which is one I hadn't heard of. I haven't heard of it. Uh, Inconvenient Truth is number eight. I have seen. Yep. Uh, the Celluloid Closet. Never not, heard of it. I've not heard of that one either. The War Room, which I have. It's a D. A. Pennebaker documentary. Yes. I've, I've heard of it, but not seen I have, it. I have seen it. Of course, We're, Super Size Me is number five. That's a bit biased. A little bit. That's a little horseshit. It is. Uh, yeah, I have seen it, though. But. Uh, Waltz with Bashir. Uh, so that came out in 2008. So that that, is, that's one of that, that, like this, is at the Moulin, is a really tough sale. It could be... How, it's a tough sell as a documentary. It's a very... It's one of the more artistic documentaries yes. I've ever seen. Yes. Um, Roger and Me. Yes. Is uh, is number three. Uh-huh. Thin Blue Line is number two. Okay. Uh, number one documentary, according to them, of all time is Hoop Dreams. Okay. Which is also in the book. Yes. And is one now after seeing. I th- I think I remember saying to you that I didn't want to do Hoop Dreams as our first one. Yes. And I'm kind of regretting that yeah. decision. Yeah. I would have rather done Hoop Dreams if I'm honest. So um, 
So I kind of I kind of made a list of uh, did you now did you do a list at all or did I just kinda... I I did I didn't rank them but okay. I have a list of ones that I th- were the most impactful to me. So I I have, let me I'm gonna go quickly through what, like a side list of ones that I've watched that I I really I really liked. Um, Blackfish, The Cove, Pina, and um, Food Inc. are all uh, like documentaries I, I really enjoyed. Um, so uh, so I I cheated. So my my number five is two of them because I couldn't I couldn't get them both on. Uh, one is called The Gleaners and I, um, which is an Agnes Varda uh, documentary, and it, it's it's really it's just her and a camera doing just you know talking about people who are gleaners, people who basically go to uh, crops and fields after they've been tilled and taking the food that's on the land that that basically for uh, any other purpose would have been left behind and and wasted. It basically gives us an opportunity to look at people. And who we would have maybe judged as one way, and then realize that there's a story actually behind this. Um, and I, it tends to, I don't want to take too much time talking about any of these specifically, but um, I think it's well worth the watch. And and it's, and tied is also um, number five is is Hoop Dreams is is, is in my top five. Um, the access, the length, the the detail that we get, it's all it's all really really compelling and interesting um, and heartbreaking. And and you really follow, you really root for these these two kids to to make it and. Yeah, it's tough. Um, do you want to say any before I keep going, or no, no, no please. Okay, continue. Um, so number four was the movie that was going to be my recommend this week until we decided to kind of do the fire um, thing, which is called The Act of Killing. Which again, I haven't seen that or The Cove, which I know are big. Like those are those are big ones. I'm yeah. surprised that I haven't seen them, and I really do need to go out of my way to see them both. The brief uh, the brief description of the act of killing is uh, it basically follows a couple of people, but specifically a man named Anwar, Anwar Congo, who was um, an executioner in Indonesia during the '60s um, uh, when uh, essentially this group of people uh, eradicated the communists. They killed millions of of people who were communists, and this movie. Um, by Joseph, uh, Joseph um, Oppenheimer basically gives uh, Congo and his, and his uh, executioner buddies a chance to tell their story in a way that makes it seem like they're making a movie, uh, a, a, uh, an anti-communist movie, um, when really the end result uh, is not that. And it, it's quite compelling, the ending that we get to. Um it was uh, high up on my top 10 list the year it came out, um, and I was really bummed it didn't win the best documentary the year it came out. Uh, number three is uh, Bowling for Columbine. I saw this at a young age. and No, no we were exactly the right age yeah. when this no, thing oh, I, came out. I agree. Yeah. Um, and even though I think it's it's not the best, it's not the most well-made of Michael Moore's documentaries, it is the it, it was the most impactful in terms of when I saw it. And, and and what it was trying to, to get across. I don't have much to say about it because it, it's, it's pretty well known. And I think it is it, in the it book. It is in the book. So we, we will get, get to, to it. it. Um, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Okay. Number two might be a cheat, but it did win Best Documentary at the Oscars. So I'm going to say that it counts. And it's the multi-part ESPN documentary, OJ, Made in America. This I, I watched this twice in a month. I watched all six parts which took me maybe over the course of eight or nine nights to watch it. A couple of days went by and I said, Melissa, I have to watch this again. Will you watch it with me? And she said, sure. And so I watched it again. It, it is it is not just a compelling look at this man's life, um, but also uh, racial injustice in this country. Um, it's, it is very, it is very detail. 
uh, detail specific, and it, it gets a lot of the big players in the in the um to be in it. Uh, hit um uh, the 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 prosecuting attorney, um some of the defense attorneys. It's it's oh man, it's it's good, and uh, there's definitely and the reason I, honestly I, the reason it's not my number one is because it's kind of a, it, it it was a TV documentary, so I don't know if that counts. And number one is a very much a recency bias, but it's the only documentary to make me cry, and that is Minding the Gap, which I know was not high on your list. No, I did, but I did not I, enjoy Minding I, the Gap. I can't. And I, it was a recommend, so I'm not going to say much more about it. If you want to hear it, find our, our episode where that was my recommend. And you can hear me talk about it more. Um, but those are mine. Ian, what do you got? So I got a I got a handful of documentaries, and again they're not ranked, but just ones that that sure. left a lasting impression. Ones that I still think about, which I think is the the most important thing. Uh, n- not the first documentary that I ever saw, but certainly the the one that incensed me. I remember enraging me the, uh, the most the first time I saw it was One Day in September, which is a uh, Kevin McDonald documentary. The same guy who did Touching the Void, which is also great. Sure. Uh, but one day in September is about the 1972 Munich okay. Olympic Games, mm-hmm. and of course I was I saw it around the time that Spielberg's film came out, and the, you know they they made a, an excellent back to back, you know serving one another kind of thing, watching them together. Um, yeah, no, it just it absolutely enraged me the way that that situation went down with the the athletes being taken hostage by the the terrorists and the fact that the Olympic Games kept going during this was just insane yeah. and how it ended and the aftermath and uh, how it really enabled the Mossad to become the the, the force that they are. Yeah, I, I walked out of, of, of that and, and of Munich feeling, man, what am I supposed to do with my life now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It left me with that kind of feeling. Um, I don't think this one will surprise you. Another one that I was really touched by, I think you already know what I'm going to say. Is it Man on Wire? It's Man on Wire. Yeah. Man on Wire is the most fun documentary I've ever seen. Okay. And I know that there's a bit of reenactment in that as well. And a little and, bit. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's, it's done in, not in an overly artful way, but it, it's done very compellingly. Yeah. And he is, he is just a pleasure to listen to the, the, the guy, uh, Pierre. I yeah. I, yeah. Is. I don't know what his last name is, yeah. but yes. But, yeah. uh, so that obviously that was made into a pretty good feature as well. The walk. Didn't see it. But the other one, the next one on my list that really, really knocked me for six and just left me a befuddled, crying wreck, was also recently made into a film by Robert Zemeckis. It's the uh, it was he called it Welcome to Marwin. The documentary is Marwin Call mm-hmm. about the uh, the fellow that was so very, very badly beaten by a bunch of skinheads in a bar, uh, permanent brain damage being done to him, and then of course retreating into his own make-believe world where he could deal with the injustices dealt to him through action figures and building this huge world. I mean, it's a very, very beautiful documentary. Very heartbreaking, just very visceral and exciting, and I I love Marwin Cole. Yeah. Um, of course, you recommended Fahrenheit eleven nine to me, so that's still very fresh in yeah. my mind. I didn't sleep that night. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. We won't go any further into that one. Yeah. That one did definitely leave a, a lasting impact. Murder Ball as well was another one. I've never seen that. You will really like Murder Ball. I, a I lot. mean, it, I've heard good things. You you will really like it. Okay. So the basic basic premise for anybody listening, it's, it's about essentially wheelchair basketball. Yeah. Um, these these paraplegic or, or these, I guess paraplegic, you're all four limbs, but this is just your... No, that's quadriplegic. Quadriplegic, excuse yeah. me. So yes, paraplegics. Yeah. Um, 
these guys' stories are just great. Yeah. Hearing the one story, there's a story that was going to just annihilate you about how this guy ended up losing his legs, and I won't ruin it for you, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough watch, but a great documentary, very uh, hope-inspiring and very uplifting. Yeah. Despite the the name, which is not so appealing, I mean it's the name that they gave the game. They don't like to to sanction that as the name of it, yeah. but it's the name that the guys get because it gets it gets pretty rough. And seeing the young kid, one of the the younger kids who has just recently lost his legs and is trying trying to deal with the trauma of that and being into this world and not quite being able to fit in and and worried about whether he can compete with the guys on this level. I mean that's that's all really good, compelling stuff. Yeah, and I also love. You know, watching the, the when somebody does a really good job on a feature length documentary, which is about the making of a feature. I had I'm biased, but I adore the Dangerous Days four hour Blade Runner documentary. I, I've watched it two or three times. I'm just I'm fascinated by the making of that film and just sure. how much love and effort was put into crafting this documentary. Yeah, they even got they got Harrison Ford, which is that's a that's a big get. Uh, I love the way it opens. They they do the introductions, this big build up. Everybody that's going to be in this movie having their little their little pieces before we get into the meat of it, and it cuts to black, and you hear Harrison's voice go, "It was a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a great introduction! I think the only person they didn't get was uh, William Sanderson, of of the people that are still alive. Yeah. He's the only non-participant, which is a shame. Because he's a, a fabulous actor, he does a great job as as JF Sebastian in it. I also wanted to there's a, there's a handful of documentaries out there that I should have seen by now and I haven't. Again, The Cove and The Act of Killing are definitely yeah up there on that list. As is is uh, Grizzly Man, but I did want to highlight another Errol Morris one, The Fog of War. Oh, you haven't seen The Fog of War? I haven't seen it. The, the McNamara one. Yeah, yeah. I I hear that is stunningly it's good, good. Yeah, yeah i had to watch it for a class in college for a political science class um and i felt like i i always love when homework assignments are to watch a movie like in general I'm like that okay Ooh, i have to watch a movie no, um, do that anyway it was it was good it was, it was very compelling um and he's very very uh forthwith with i mean he just very honest about the information that he i mean the questions that he's asked and he just i mean give, yeah it's it's good it's not flashy. I don't. I mean, I, I haven't seen enough Errol Morals to to know, but like, it's not a flashy documentary. It's just pretty much just him talking. But you you're really interested to hear what he has to say. Well, yeah, because he's a man that he lived through some shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Bad <laughs> so, pigs. Yeah. So everything he's gonna say is gonna is hold. It's gonna hold weight. Yeah. And I'm very. I'm fascinated to to sit down and finally watch that thing. Uh, another director I wanted to. Hi- I love Werner Herzog documentaries. I yeah. I I don't. I haven't seen any of his. Oh, really? No. Encounters at the End of the World, his Antarctica one, is fantastic. Okay. Uh, another one that I would throw in the same sort of breath as Fahrenheit 11.9 is uh, Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World, which is an, an internet-based documentary about, the, one, the history of the internet, where it's taking us, um, the impact that the internet has on nature, how, what, what impact does it have on us physically, Mentally, I mean, it's a very, very ambitious documentary for yeah. being only 90 minutes. And the ground that they cover, I mean, it's earth-shattering, some of the stuff that he deals with. But Herzog, docu- Herzog documentaries are always worth a watch. Sure. Very, very good stuff. And the, the last one I wanted to bring up, have you seen They Shall Not Grow Old? No, I haven't. It, it's really recent. I haven't, yeah, I haven't found I'm, time I'm to watch very, it. I'm very excited to see that. Yeah. I, think, I think Peter Jackson has done a, a, a very cool, very noble and worthy thing there yeah 
And spe- I've never seen a Ken Burns documentary. I haven't either. Baseball is, I know, is kind of a like a classic. Yeah. Well, the, their commitments. Yeah. Is is the other thing. I I really want to see the Prohibition one. People have been talking to me about the Prohibition one for for years. Yeah. And that's a period of history I'm fascinated with. With anyway. Well, and there are there are some like multi part like TV documentaries that are. It's hard. I mean, it's not that I don't include them, but you know they they're they are commitments. I mean, um. Oh yeah, just the OJ. How long is the OJ one? It's like six six or seven parts. Yeah. But oh god damn, it's so good. Um, if I if you don't mind leaving off with like a film one, it, it wasn't on my my top five, but one that I actually really recommend um is the the Roger Ebert Life Itself documentary. It's it it's I really like it. You know, obviously it's it's filmed in the latter days of his life and he's not in good shape at all. Um, but the history of him and the the history specifically of him and Gene Siskel, who apparently at first did not get along at all, watching the like behind the scenes unaired footage of their show it's just really fascinating um and and as anybody who enjoys film you know who Roger Ebert is i mean maybe maybe really really young people now won't know what two thumbs up means but you know Siskel and Ebert were the premier critics for for it seemed like you know a good 20 years and um well shit you and i were if we were if we weren't 30 years late to the party <laughs> um so so there you go. We we both, uh, to what extent of pleasure, uh, we both think that the Thin Blue Line should be in the book. Um, and we give you a crap load of documentaries, too, that we recommend. Um, but we would love to hear what you think, if you've seen the Thin Blue Line and what you think of it and what you think of any of the documentaries. And if there's one that you felt like an egregious you know, mistake that we didn't, that we didn't include one of them, please let us know. So you can, you can let us know on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening, you're probably listening on uh, Google play and Spotify and iTunes. Please, uh, leave us a comment, rate, review, subscribe, all those good things. Um, our numbers keep going up and we want to continue to get new listeners. And the best way to do that is to get our podcast, uh, to be seen by more people. So the way that that's going to happen is if you give us some, uh, some loving, and uh, we would we would much appreciate it. So um, uh, until next time, my name is Adam. And my name is Ian. And we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>